Right now at six minutes past seven, uh, Red Bull's drivers already have a firm grip on the F1 title. We know this. But things over in the IndyCar in the States are a lot tighter. Scotty McLaughlin and Roman Grosjean went head-to-head in Alabama yesterday, exchanging the lead until our man, Scotty McLaughlin, pulled ahead with 19 laps to go and never looked back. Rojan goes way wide, way wide. Oh, and almost comes back in. That turn five spot is a real handful for Grosjean. There's going to be a new race leader. His name is Scott McLaughlin. Scott McLaughlin wins at Baba Motorsports Park and makes it four different winners. <laughs> yeah, boy! Our man, Scotty McLaughlin, and our other man, Ed Spencer, is a feature writer for Total Motorsport and joins us this morning to recap another thrilling weekend of IndyCar action at, uh, well, a track that Scott McLaughlin really just made his own. Ed, how you doing, my man? Good morning, chaps. How are we? Yeah, we're going well. We're going well because our uh, compatriot put it together and it, it seems like they really nailed their game plan. Three pit stops and, well, it didn't look back at the end. No, it didn't. It was a good strategy by Penske to to keep get Scott in quick and make sure that he had fresh tyres and enough fuel to really attack Roman for the last stage of the race. And although Roman looked to have got it under control with that feisty move into the final corner, Scott really got his elbows out and... When Roman made the mistake, it was just the perfect opportunity that fell into his lap. And it's really what Scott needs after the disappointment of St. Petersburg. And it puts him in a good stead for the month of May, which is arguably IndyCar's showpiece event. Hey, morning, Ed. Thanks for joining us this morning uh, on the show. Scott McLaughlin and Scotty Dixon, mate, the Kiwis are going pretty well up there. Yeah, Kiwis are going well. I don't know how it happens, but every time they jump into an IndyCar, they're fast. And Scott's always been quick since he jumped in in 2020 2021 dixon is of course the legend of the series and again they're looking good bets for the indy 500 it's just a case of how is the rest of the season going to go bear in mind we have a new circuit coming up after indianapolis which is detroit which uses the old formula one layer they used to use back in the 80s so it's it's very interesting to see them coming to play scott dixon will probably be there thereabouts it would be wrong to rule that now and McLaughlin is on a bit of a run of form after what I've said earlier which was that disappointing St. Petersburg race. He puts a lot of pressure on himself Scott McLaughlin doesn't he I think because he knows how good and how fast he is he really has built himself up and I, I know I mean I would consider what he's done already in India a success but I, I think they probably think that he's he's a a genuine title threat and he's not really going to be satisfied until he wins one so is is that hard when you do that I know the car's fast and going really well but this is so competitive that the driving ranks seem so deep in IndyCar at the moment it is a very competitive series you know you could pick 15 20 drivers who could win a race that's how good the series is and how it's seemingly got more competitive over time I think Scott is hardening himself, but every driver's hardening themselves. Every driver strives for perfection, and Scott is no different, particularly considering the fact that you know he was so used to success in Australia in the V8 supercars. He wanted to go over to IndyCar and really stamp his name down, and he's done it. He's done very well for himself, you know, particularly considering you know it's such a different kettle of fish. You know, a V8 supercar is big and heavy, and IndyCar is quite light. 
you have to really fight with it a little bit more on the wet on the wet tracks. And I think he's done very well for himself. I don't think he can look back at his time and think, okay, that was a mistake. Okay, that was a bit of failure. When you know he's been competitive ever since 2022, and he will only get better as time goes on. There's a reason why Penske wants him in that car, wanted him full time, and replaced him, replaced Helio Castroneves, who was a stalwart of that team. It um, stopping, yeah, it put stops. You know, they only stopped and pitted three times. Do you think his team nailed that strategy in around that? Yeah, got it perfect. Um, you know, Grosjean was under pressure from the same time the pace car went in. Penske got him in just the right time. They did. They got a free stop out of it, and it just went perfectly. So, hats off to Penske in getting the strategy perfect when it looked like the race was slipping away from them in the middle stages. But then, of course, the pace car, as it always does in most sport, it closed the gap right up. And that's, you know, as well as Scotty's great driving, that was probably a key to victory. They, he, I was reading that he's very happy with where they've got their Penske car at, uh, what are we, just under a month away from the Indy 500. It sounds like he's got it going very fast in the testing that they've done. But it's a, a it's a completely different ball game, the Indy 500, isn't it? I mean, you need a fast car, but you need a hell of a lot of luck. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. It's you know, it's too, it's a long race. You're practicing for a month as well. That's the other thing. You know, you're constantly finding, you know, things wrong with a car, and you're also trying to get to that limit. And if you don't have a car, a good car at Indy, you're you're practically nowhere. You might as well, you know, chase for the top ten points. And also, there's you know, there's the prestige of the Indy Five Hundred. You know, everyone who doesn't, everyone who works in motorsport and knows motorsport, even people who don't watch racing, they know the Indy 500. This is a race which you can really stamp your name down into mortality. And Scott, like every one of those drivers, will desperately want to win this race. And you've got to say he has a very good chance, but you could argue that, as I say, 15 or 20 of them are in with a good chance of taking that ball ball the trophy home. Just um, having a look at our our other Kiwi there, Ed, um, who's going pretty pretty good uh, with his racing, is uh, Marcus Armstrong, and he's going to get a crack at the five hundred. Um, did he do some serious work to get there? And uh, do you think he's got a chance at Alabama? I think he'll have a chance you know, going to the five hundred. I think you know, with a rookie, it's always very daunting the five hundred because it is so such a fast circuit you're constantly on the edge for for 200 odd laps it's loads of drafting loads of overtaking you've got to keep your head down when cars are flying by because it's such a long race marcus has done very well since coming to indycar he did had a good race in barber got a trophy for biggest move of the race which he looked rather bewildered about because he was wondering why he was getting it um but um no he's he's, he's done well to life well, he started well to life in IndyCar, and I think he will do fine. I, he's already got that, you know, that feeling of okay, what can I do next? And you know, if it if it doesn't happen for him on the ovals, well, when when that will come? Well, it's all about learning. You know, the, the IndyCar schedule is long enough for you to have time to really gain experience and gain confidence, particularly on ovals. Yeah, that's right. He, he seems like he's um, acclimated pretty well, though. And yeah, he did look surprised. You're right. He kind of looked like a stunned mullet a wee bit. Uh, meanwhile, over in the F1, um, Baku was a absolute clinic 
by the Red Bulls, but in particular Checo. I'm curious, do you think that Christian Horner and Red Bull think that Checo could actually contend for a title or do they just give him his plaudits when he wins on these street circuits and really it's all about Max? I think they should seriously start thinking that Checo is going to win the cha- could win the championship. You know, at the moment it's two all between him and Max. The gap is down to six in the championship. Max didn't look particularly comfortable at Baku. Checo looked pretty much on song once he got by Charles in the sprint and in the Grand Prix he had that little bit of luck with the safety car coming out at the right time for him and it didn't come out the right time for Max. So regardless of what Horner thinks, he needs to start realising I've got potential title battle on my hands. You know, I've got two very good drivers. You know, the car is arguably the cream of the crop. Mercedes, Ferrari and Aston Martin aren't going to fight for the championship because they're, you know, they're in the fight for third. And he needs to seriously think, okay, how am I going to get these guys to race without crashing into each other? We all know how him, sorry, how Weber and Vettel got very nasty at times during their five years stint. He needs to make sure that Max and Checo doesn't end up ending still like that. It's going to be it's going to be interesting. It, it will be an interesting battle. I do think we will have a title battle, whether you know some people like it or not. Yeah, well, when, by some people you mean Christian. I I, th- I think you're right. I think he's trying to talk it into existence that Chico is not a threat, but because he, he doesn't want to have to deal with Max. And we've seen Max, his attitude when things don't go his way. I mean, look at him with George Russell this weekend. He is, he kid, you know, I, I won't say it, but you could say that he's petulant from time to time. And <laughs> and I don't know how well he'd take it if this keeps going. He, I did read that he was saying that when he gets into those some of those big racetracks and he can go faster into corners, he thinks that the season will balance out. And obviously there are more of those. So we're not saying that Max is in any trouble via Checo, right? We're just saying that there might be more of a tussle than Christian thinks he has. That's what I think as well. I think it will be close, but it won't be massively tight. There will be a sort of championship fight. And I think Max struggles a little bit on street circuits. You know, Singapore last year, he had a bit of a mess, had a bit of a mayor weekend. Jeddah, he was hampered by the fact that he was starting from 15th. Baku, he didn't look particularly comfortable. And he did get a little bit hot under the collar. But I will say... In his defence, all racing drivers do get a bit hot-headed on the race, and particularly when you've had contact on lap one. I think the way Max is approaching the races is he's more... He's not trying desperately to get, um, you know, a haul of points from taking unnecessary risks. He mentioned it with the sprint. And I think Max is calculating, okay, what do I need to get? Do I need to be ahead of Checo all the time? okay, if it means crashing the car, I'll probably just stay back, just take what I can get. It's a long season, bearing in mind we have 22 races, 23. Uh, it, it's it's interesting really to try and figure out what goes through his head and what goes through Christian's head. But I think yeah. there, is a, there is a risk. There is a risk. There will be a quite dramatic cycle ride. No, well explained. Fair enough, Ed. Uh, lastly, we'll, we'll let you crack on with your evening. But as... Um... Is Fernando Alonso dating Taylor Swift? <laughs> <laughs> um, I think you will need to bring on uh, an editor of GQ 
uh, for that. Um, <laughs> it has been a bit of a, a long-running joke uh, in the F1 paddock. But, but is it a joke? Is it? I don't know. I think, you know, he'll... <laughs> he's probably shaken off the rumours and he's probably also... <laughs> You know, he's finding several blank spaces in what may be true, what may not be true. Um, but I think we'll see. We we may see some maybe at Miami or Monaco, but I don't think it's. I think it's just a little bit of a joke that everyone's running with. I'd love nothing more to see T Swift turn up at Miami just to flame, just to fan the flames. It's just that was my favorite favorite story over the weekend that just kind of came out of absolutely nowhere. Uh, very good, Ed. Appreciate your time as always. We'll talk again about Indian F1. You do outstanding work, and we really appreciate it. Pleasure. Thank you very much, gents. Have a good rest of your day, and good good morning to everyone in New Zealand. Well, it's that time of year, really, isn't it? And to the joy of many punters around the country, Jumps Racing is back, and it all kicks off this week across the ditch with the Warrnambool Carnival. New Zealand's premier jumps jockey is Sean Phelan, and he'll let you know about it as well. He's made his way to the carnival for a few rides, and it's his first time in his esteemed career, which I actually couldn't believe. Uh, Sean's been good enough. He's up early for a sweat to take the call. Morning, mate. How you doing? Hey, mate, all good? Yeah. Uh, first time at Warnable, Sean. Oh, I, I couldn't believe this, because as I said, you're very esteemed. You seem to have done it all. Why have you never made the, the uh, great voyage across to Victoria before? Um, well, obviously, it's pretty early in the season, and um, usually I'm probably just too fat, to be honest. But, um, <laughs> yeah, I've sort of... more the last The last couple of years, I've sort of watched the carnival and thought you know it's how big it's getting and and how much of a like sort of a a, a big event it's become that that sort of during the summer I thought bugger I'm gonna try and get my weight down early this season and try and get over there for this one um yeah I've run in the, in the Jericho Cup at the end of the season around one of all couple of times but never you yeah, never this carnival you call yourself fat. Well, for context, like most of us, we we know how small jockeys are. We, I've I've seen you. You're not a tiny bloke. Uh, by the way, Sean's a very good horse trainer as well. So you're a busy man. How, how what's your kind of walking weight, and what do you have to get yourself down to for uh, the jumps today? Um, well, I've got to be 64 tomorrow. <laughs> um, today, uh, 65 today. Um, during the off season this year, I would have been probably. 75. Oh, um, wow. You get to you do get to a point where you just go, shit, I don't think this is happening this year. Um, <laughs> this might be it. But um, oh, it's definitely, um, I, you know, you're listening to Michael McNair's interview a few guys the other day, it's definitely diet and exercise that um, if you keep chipping, it, chipping away at it, it do, like it does, it does come off. Yeah, it's, a, it's that wasting A feels, you know, like you've got to, you got to really work hard of it. Um, I remember Scotty Brett Scott talking about that all the time because he was he was one of our our best uh, jump jockeys as well. Did you get a chance to catch up with him, or you obviously spend some time with him? Uh, Scotty, yeah, yeah. Well, he's he's obviously looking after this horse of um, of John Wheelers for us. He's he's training him over here. So yeah. he's he's pretty happy with him. Um, yeah, love. Yeah, he was a, he was a great jump jockey, Brett Scott. He, um he always sort of helps you out when you can, but yeah, he's probably a few years before before me. But I, I definitely can write, remember him riding as a kid. Yeah. 
we're just on that, uh, Sean. Like you, you, and there's a, a few of the the crew that get around these days, and we probably don't. Like, yeah, she definitely don't get the recognition you deserve for kind of putting yourself in harm's way, and and also where where it kind of sits as far as the picking order of of racing and sport in the country. But have you always been a jumps racing fan? And like, can you give the listeners a bit of context about New Zealand's history? I assume we've always punched above our weight as far as jumps, like we have in racing and sport in general. Um, yeah, like definitely, um, like our our. Jumps, our jumpers are, are very competitive. Um, obviously, that for Australia, like you know, they want the New Zealand breed horses, just like how you know they do how well their horses do on the flat. They do exceptionally well over here on, over jumps because of the um, the, um, the they can stay. But um, oh, I've sort of been jumps riding for a good ten years now. Um, when I sort of first started off, I was riding against. Jonathan Riddell and uh, guys like Tommy Hazlitt and Isaac Lupton and um, yeah, when you rode against Jonathan Riddell, you um, you didn't get much room. If you if you try to uh, <laughs> go up his inside, you um, found out what what an inside wing looked like real quickly. So um, it's um, it's a bit it's a bit disheartening for me now. Like we've just let, we lack so many riders in New Zealand, and it's it's hard for you know like. Myself and Sean Fennan, you know, we're sort of, we're just sort of hoping someone, there's a few people that can come through and sort of, you know, boost it up a bit because it is, it is, it is a bit disheartening when you've ridden against those top jockeys like that and sort of, now we're battling to find some numbers. Well, you're going to be able to scratch that itch this week, this week, mate, because you're really in the hub of it in Australasia. It's such a good week. It's so worth watching the Warnball Carnival and having a bet. What are some of your best chances or the horses you're excited to ride this week, Sean, that we can keep an eye out for? Um, well, they're not. Like, they're, just, they're just looking at them, really. They're just place chances. So um, probably depends on what the weather does, really, you know, um, if we get a bit of rain, it probably brings the you know, abacus into it a bit. Where he, you know, if if it's a wheels trained horse, it's gonna it's gonna need every every bit of the five thousand metres that they're going over for the annual. Um, the, the horse I'm riding in the hurdle race at um, in the Gullywood, it might be a good place bet. It's, it's had a couple of wins, uh, San Remo. So yeah, I'm just I'm just stoked to be over here and yeah, picked up some some rides. Uh, nice stuff, man. Well, it's good that you're living out your dream and hopefully it, it might encourage some other Kiwis to pick it up in New Zealand. We'll talk to you throughout the jump season here, Sean, and um, we'll get a couple of winners for you as the winter progresses. Yeah, definitely. There you go. Sean Phelan, top jump jockey, good trainer, Kempe as well, uh, back here in New Zealand. We're seven away from eight. We're going to get back to some of these text messages on the rugby and what's going on versus league after this. Our Otago Nuggets may be undefeated, but the Canterbury Rams sit at the top of the Cells NBL table after beating the Southland Sharks on Friday night. Ty Winyard put on another clinic, scoring 28 points while also dominating the boards, and the Rams will soon be out, uh, be without their big man, though, as he eyes a life-changing move to China in a couple of weeks to take up a very lucrative 3v3 um, contract with the Shanghai Sharks. Ty's on the line with us this morning to talk about the move and more. Morning, Ty. How are you this morning, mate? Morning. Good, good. <laughs> <laughs> That's good, mate. Look, 
as a Taranaki man myself, it was tough to see you move down to the Rams this season, but uh, it looks like you're thriving down there, mate. How, how have you liked the change of scenery? Yeah, no, loving it down in Christchurch. Um, yeah, they moved us, me and my family, both there, all down. So it's been, no, it's, it's been good. Yeah, it is. It is good. By the way, Ty, we have had this before. It's Louis here, mate. We've had this before that basketball is always the athletes that um, do comment on the early wake up for morning breakfast radio. So I appreciate you getting the getting getting up to to take the call for us, mate. But pretty yeah. exciting t- time in your life. Um, well, you got the Rams firing on all cylinders, and you got a new journey on the horizon. Yeah, no, nah, definitely excited about everything ahead. Um, Gutted that I can't be staying with the Rams. Obviously, uh, the boys are just starting to get into it, and and we're playing some great basketball together. So, yeah, a bit gutted about that, but it it should be a good, good little experience for me to to get overseas and play some ball. Hey, Ty. So, so how did all this come about? Like, you know, we're China just looking out for athletes, and they your manager, they contact you, the manager, they threw a contract in front of you. Like, how did it actually all come about? Yeah, well, I was just kind of over at the Asia Cup and um, I was just finished a, a, a game against China and a few guys came out to me and um, they were like, oh, well, would you like to play in the Super League? And I had no idea what this was at the time. And um, so they kind of threw a, threw a contact at me and then um, later on we talked and they gave me a contract and I was like, oh, yeah, okay, this must be pretty real. <laughs> <laughs> it's yeah. pretty re- pretty real, right? Well, you just hope that the chicks the chicks clear. Was that the first thing you ask? Yeah, exactly. I think that's a bit of the worry because eh? you never know with when you go over there. Like to make sure that everything's okay, you have to have lawyers look good and and all that. Obviously, whenever you're going overseas, just because it's it's not like I guess it's not it's not the same as over here. You know, um, a lot of people go over and they don't get paid or whatever it may be. So you have to really check and look into things before you head over. Whereabouts on your, in your basketball journey, Tyne? You've had a, a really interesting, I mean, you're still a young man, but you've had an interesting um, time in the kind of public eye so far. But the, whereabouts did the 3x3 come across your desk? And when did you get involved? Did, is that something you'd been playing in high school back in New Zealand or is it later in your career? Yeah, so I'd started way back in high school when we went to the under-18s uh, World Cup. I think I was like 16, and we won the World Cup in Hungary. Me, Matt Freeman, Sam Timmons, and uh, Nico McCulloch. And then since then, I played a couple more times at, and for the national team and that, and then and really enjoyed it, you know. So I think I've been playing for a long time, just off and on, and um, where I can around fives. So, yeah, a little while. Hey, Ty, it all, all hasn't been plain sailing for you, though, um, has it? You know, you went through a bit of a tough time. Uh, your weight sort of um, started to balloon out and, and you know, through through some some really dark um, parts of your life. Just just talk us through that and how you came out of it um, for our listeners. Yeah, well, I, was, I kind of just went into a bit of a hole after college. I didn't know what to kind of do with my life and whether whether I should keep following basketball and I took some time off for a couple of years and and I was just lucky enough to have a have a nice great partner in, in my partner at the moment and um my son who really supported me and my family that that supported me to get back on my feet and get back into basketball and 
and start enjoying playing again, you know. So I think that was the biggest thing is that I didn't really enjoy it anymore and I was kind of over playing because I'd played so much basketball over the years from a young age. And, um, yeah, I just I kind of fell out of love with the game, but I'm glad to have found it again and be back in great shape. And it's easy to get in good shape when you enjoy what you're doing, you know. Was it a bit of a case of you, you kind of needed to realise that basketball wasn't everything in life and when your family came along it gave you a little bit more perspective? Yeah, exactly. I think I think that is a big part of it. Like um just just finding who I am outside of a basketball player. Like mm. I kinda sat there and thought to myself, All I'm known as is this basketball player and what am I? You know, what do I enjoy and and I I didn't know. <laughs> so I kinda just yeah, lost my way a little bit, but I think it was my own decision making that led me down that path and and I believe in a little bit of um, everything happens for a reason mm. and, and you go through experiences to kind of learn from them. And, um, yeah, so I think I just went through all that so I could learn from it and know how not to put myself in that position again. So, Yeah. Kawaiyo, mate. Like, uh, just tell us a little bit about the the uh, the person away from the basketball court tied. Like, um, where were you brought up and, and what are your values? What are your family values? Yeah, I was brought up out west in Auckland and, uh, with my dad and Jason Winyard and my mum, Carmen. And we, he obviously, he's a woodchopper, so I've been brought up about around winning my whole life. And, like, he's it's kind of been brought up around sport and that competitive nature throughout my whole my whole kind of upbringing. And I was travelling all the time when I was younger. And, um, oh, I've, yeah, I don't know. I'm still kind of figuring that out, the young side of me, because I think that a lot of it goes kind of, you forget about it, but um, I was was lucky enough to travel a lot with my family, and then now I guess it's like I'm a father, I enjoy all these other things I've caught, I I love taking my son out to do things, and I'm not just as basketball player, I think, as much, so yeah. Oh, it's, it's really cool, man. It's um, no, it's it's it's, a, it's well answered because it's it's not easy to talk about yourself all the time. So no, that's cool, Ty. Hey, yeah. funnily enough, especially in the pro- morning with you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, fair enough. Fair enough. This is you probably never heard this before, and I'm not comparing you to a, a horse jockey at all. But funnily enough, we just had a bloke on the radio that's a jumps jockey, and he was just talking about losing. He used to get down to a certain weight to be able to ride. And we've, we hear, hear this from time to time about jockeys. When their weight is right, they can be more consistent in their performance. You know, they don't have to worry that their conditioning is the first thing that if they are consistent in their conditioning, then the kind of skill set comes after that. For yourself, like getting in condition, you've been playing unbelievable and you've picked up this contract. How much of that came down to your physical condition and just being able to trust your body? I think the majority of it, just because, like, um, when you're in good condition, you're less injury prone. You can move for longer and better, and and like um, the longevity of you being out on that court and providing high-level basketball is uh, better than when you're carrying the weight. You know, some players uh, carry the weight better than others, but then they end up having to deal with different problems after the game, and then the next game that they have to play. The um, injuries flare up, or they're sore, or, or 
bits and pieces like that. So I think a game of basketball carrying any excess weight. Like if you look, I guess it really hurts you because like if you look at these guys in the NBA and you try to build your body like their body type because obviously that's the pinnacle of basketball. You look at them and they have no body fat. So I think that's kind of where the mould has to be and that's why it helps so much with having low uh, low fat levels, yeah. And what about the um, the 3v3 game, uh, Toy? You know, like, do you think it'll continue to grow globally? Yeah, I definitely think it'll grow. Um, it's the only second year in the CBA league, and I think as soon as people and players all over the world start hearing about it, then it's actually an option to be able to play year-round through extreme basketball. I think that more people are going to get involved, and also having it in the Olympics, like in the Olympics last cycle, and then this, this cycle have it again. So I think every country really wants to win a gold medal. So, well, it's we can big, we can a big thing. win our medal. Oh, we can dream, man! Like we can only dream. And uh, I know that there are we've been going pretty well on the 3x3 scene and having you exposed to kind of a professional league like that, it's just going to be so good to bring the IP back back home. Hey, uh, last one before we let you crack on with your morning. Um, you just talk about players carrying their weight and uh, NBA. Well, Nikola Jokic, I just think he's a fascinating athlete. You look at, you look at how he kind of moves and he's obviously exceptionally skilled, but... Uh, he dunked the other day on the fast break. I don't know if you saw it, and he kind of barely got half a foot off the half a foot off the ground. It looked like he was going to fall over. I mean, what do you make of him as a kind of a two-time MVP and in another discussion? And and the Nuggets look unbelievable in the, against the Suns in that first game. Is he just a bit of like a an anomaly, a bit of a freak? Yeah, I guess like, it's like one of those guys that I said that carry their weight well. <laughs> um, he's he's a, uh, he's a bit different, you know, like. I think that he plays very skilled and and patient, so he's not putting his body in those positions where he can get injured, and he knows that, I guess, he has to do that to continue playing for a long time. But I also think that, like, some people's body types just look like that. It doesn't matter what they do, and they, um, Mm. you can look at them and you can't see, I guess, what's actually under all that. But um, I think he's a real strong guy. His great footwork and 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 all the little tools and skills to be able to play the game well. So it's yeah, obviously he is a bit of an anomaly. But if you look at majority of people, I think that they're all got like five or five to six body fat percentage. You know, so yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And that's the goal. And uh, hey, Ty, look, thanks a lot for joining us this morning and uh, making the effort to get out of uh, your your nice, comfortable bed to talk to me and Louis on uh, Is in Keeper for Breakfast. Mate, you, you get yourself back to bed. We wish you all the best uh, in the Super League up in China. Uh, we'll be definitely tuning in and uh, we'll get you back on the line once you're up there and just let us let us know what life's like up there later on, eh? Yeah, no, cheers. Thank you for that. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah. Cheers, Ty. There you go, Ty Winyard, heading up to China for the Super League and the 3v3 basketball tour. Um, mate, and he, you know, that, that comment that Ty makes in and around body fat, you know, the motivation to to, to, to strip down and, and I guess get some longevity out of the game uh, is so key in today's athlete. But also, I think the, the message from him there was the love of the sport, you know, having, mm. having to be that guy that travels around with your dad and, and always used to winning and, and being driven through that sports sector, it does get to you in the end. Um, 
but mate, so happy that they've found he's and, and him personally he's found that love back and uh, that passion back there and going on. I I, I reckon he'll be an absolute hit, Louis, in that Super League. Oh, I think he's he's super reflective about himself, and he's kind of he's been through. He's been through the darkness and he's just starting to come out the other side and the good things are starting to happen, you know. And like for him and his family, kind of prioritising his family and doing that, getting a bit of perspective has clearly paid him back in spades and, you know, people believe in good karma or whatever. Um, I just think it's cool and oh, I really enjoyed that. It's a little bit of a more than an athlete chat on a Tuesday, Kippy. Yeah, it was. <laughs> exactly. It was that. And he was, um, you know, nice and, and forthcoming with the – the uh, the conversation and around the places that he got himself into and and losing his passion for the sport and his love of the sport and you know um, and you hear this so often don't you when you've got such a good person standing next next to you and you've got the motivation of a young a young child that's looking up to you you know you become a mentor and a and a father figure you know he just wants to get out there and enjoy it so mate all the best to Ty Winyard on his on his next uh, next journey like it's been a fantastic journey so far I'm pretty sure there's plenty more chapters to write in Ty Winyard's book. Hey, text comes straight through. Just a fantastic show and chat. What well on Louis and Kimpy? Well, what well on to Ty Winyard, really? Picking up the phone nice and early to chat to us. And the good news is, guys, we've got a new team to support. The Shanghai Sharks. Who would have thought? Izzy and Kempi for breakfast. Number one fans of the Shanghai Sharks. Yeah, that's right. Fins up. Fins up for the Sharks, <laughs> not the Marco. Sorry, Tasman. I do like Tasman. Little brothers. 20 minutes past 8 o'clock. Uh, actually, there's a text I need to read around the Chiefs at some stage, so I will get to that. Um, here with Kemis Warehouse, the Real House of Fragrance. Lots of people, Kempi, have got the song right. So anybody that got the song right will announce the name of the song and uh, announce the winner before the end of this hour as well. But you still got time to text. Can you give us it one more time, Neeps, that little snippet? Do you still have it loaded? Oh, oh. <laughs> yeah, and the artist is not T. Kemp. Well, it could be. <laughs> oh, I could, love that tune. Absolutely love a, it. It's an absolute banger. 20 minutes past eight, back in a sec. Yes, it's 8.43, and if you were hoping for the weather gods to smile upon the country after what has been a torrid start to the year already, I'm afraid you're out of luck. More heavy rainfall is expected over the coming days as a subtropical storm moves across the country. Gee, I sound like uh, Jim Hickey. We've been talking about getting a meteorologist on the show for a while, and we thought it was finally time to hit up Phil Duncan from weatherwatch.com. The legend. Dot NZ and ruralweather.co.nz. He's on the line with us now. Morena Full, how are you? Oh, good morning. It's such an honour to be with Jim Hickey. Wow. <laughs> Don't worry, mate. The great, the great man from Taranaki. I flew in my private jet this morning. I uh, just thought I'd uh, catch up with you, Phil, about what's going on up there. This atmospheric river that's uh, crossing over the country at a great rate of knots. It's down at the Coromandel at the moment. Can you just fill us in a little bit about what that actually means for the listeners? So what we've got, um, it might be surprising, but actually this weather's mostly been caused by high pressure, not by low pressure. So there's an enormous area of high pressure east of the country over the Chatham Islands, and it's so big, it stretches all the way up to the Cook Islands and Tonga. And because of the anticyclonic uh, wind flow around it, that air, air that's sitting up around the Cook Islands and Tonga is being pulled down over us, and the high isn't moving. It's sort of like a roundabout. It's just parked there, and the air is going around and around and around. And so we're seeing day after day after day with the exact same or very similar weather setup. So the rain is sort of moving around back and forth around New Zealand uh, in the north and the west of both main islands. 
more to come over the next few days. And in fact, this high doesn't move away until Monday or Tuesday of next week. So it's certainly a very long-lasting system. Oh, wow. That, that bloody anti-cyclonic wind flow, eh? Um, now, Phil, how often are, are people at the moment coming up to you? And since Cyclone Gabrielle and the, the devastation we've seen, how often are you getting people coming up to you and saying, is this a sign of the times? Is this weather going to happen? Or is this just cyclical and, you know, we're due to have dry weather again in, say, two years' time? Is that how it works? Are people curious? Yeah, we have a lot of people asking this. Um, uh, the news media used to always put everything, um, you know, oh, this is climate change, this is climate change. And yes, to some degree it is, but that's just too simple of an answer. Like, there's got to be a reason why we're getting warmer weather. And like I said, there's a big high pressure zone that's stuck, it's stalled. By the way, next Wednesday, eight days from now, we've got a major cold blast by the looks of it coming in. So this is... Unusual and normal at the same time. The unusual part is just how prolonged this warm event is, and we've just had one in April. So well above normal temperatures, that's unusual. But getting um, you know, tropical weather one week and then sub-Antarctic weather the next week, that's also very normal for the middle part of autumn. Hey, Phil, can you just talk to us a little bit about the water table and, and the amount of rain that we've had, obviously, through the summer leading into winter and what that actually means when you get a system like this and the panic that um, I guess all of our councils around uh, New Zealand and our, and our um, what, what would you say, our whanau that, are, that have been through the terrible times already are facing? Yeah, I mean, we've, we've seen since Gabrielle and the, and the Auckland floods in January, the um, soil moisture levels, in particular in the North Island, are much wetter than average for this time of the year, but they're also just wetter than normal, um, generally speaking. So we're seeing uh, one positive is that the last couple of months, since Gabriel, a lot of those places that were badly flooded have actually had some decent breathers and a chance to not, I wouldn't say totally dry out, but certainly going closer back to normal. So this is going to reverse that for some areas like Northland and Auckland and maybe some other parts around Nelson will be seeing that getting wetter than average. So for, for the councils, it would be concerning for slips, um, probably more than flooding, although flooding is certainly a problem out there. Slips are a real issue in some parts of the country with setups like this, like Nelson and Coromandel and Northland. They tend to get a lot of slips when it's warm and wet for days and days and days in a row. Fascinating, yeah, yeah, and, and it is. It's gnarly out there, and you just feel bad for. Well, you feel bad for the councils, but you feel bad for people's houses that are just in kind of these specific scenarios where they just keep getting. Um, they just kind of can't get a reprieve at the moment. It is devastating at this time of year, though, Phil. I'm certain you get, especially with your rural ties. I'm certain you get people asking you for the, the uh, outlook for duck shooting weekend. So, for all those good New Zealanders, say going shooting in the uh, Bex Omaka region of central Otago <laughs> this that? weekend. Who's that? <laughs> uh, oh, just some good Kiwis. Um, is there anything you could l- let them know about what sort of forecast they might be looking at? <laughs> um, well, actually, it's, it, in the southern part of the country, down around um, Omaka, it's not actually looking too rough this weekend. Um, partly mm. cloudy and... and um, Maybe a bit of fog around on Sunday morning. Um, might be some low cloud and fog on Sunday morning. Saturday morning doesn't look 
doesn't look so foggy. So we've got on our other website, ruralweather.co.nz, we've got a fog and cloud forecaster, which I believe could be quite helpful for duck shooting. And also we've got rain and wind graphs as well for every location in the country. So this weekend as we go in like Saturday, um, the North Island looks a little bit unsettled. It's, it's raining and they've got windy nor'easters here and there. The further down the country you go, the more settled it's likely to be. Phil, what's the, what's the weather predictions for the future, say the next five years in New Zealand? Are we looking at having wet, wetter summers and colder winters? What what are you predicting? You know, I, I think that uh, probably the most likely scenario for New Zealand is more chaos. Um, we're, we're in a very isolated part of the world, and as a weather forecaster, we spend a lot of time looking at weather maps. In fact, we spend a lot of time looking down on Earth rather than up at the sky because we're looking at all the different rain maps and wind maps. And what you start to notice is just how isolated New Zealand is. There's some photos or some images you can take on Google Earth that show basically an entire Pacific Ocean with just New Zealand in it. Um, And so what I mean by that is you can have these big weather patterns going on where you're seeing Europe or North America in a trend, and we're just all over the place down here in the Southern Ocean, and you know um, we're out of the equator, but we're close enough to it as well to get the odd cyclone. So I think we're going to see more chaos. That usually means more rain, um, but if we do go into El Nino later this year, that will shift that high-pressure zone, the one I was telling you about east of us. We'll see more of that to the west of us, and that encourages more southwesters uh, very different to what we've had with La Nina for the last two or three years. Mm. But I always think New Zealand can buck the trend and we do our own thing. Um, you know, we might get a, a touch of what's going on in the tropics or Australia, but we often do just our own thing. Uh, very well explained, Phil. Even I've got my head around that. That's very awesome. That, that's brilliant. Really enjoyed that, mate. Uh, weatherwatch.co.nz and ruralweather.co.nz will be on there before duck shooting. Appreciate your time, Phil. Cheers, guys. Thanks very much. I love that, Kempi. Honestly, so good. I'm, I'm thinking, yep, book the holidays. Uh, definitely during the, you know, the the spring and the autumns, because you know, obviously he's thinking that we're going to have That's a little it. bit of a little bit of chaos through those periods. Um, and I get the, the El Nino too with the with the westerlies that we've had. Like the boys, that, the boys, uh, are the easterlies that we've had currently. The boys out west are real happy about that because the surf's pumping when you've got that. Offshore. Um, but he said if it swings around, well, let's hope that we have some subtropical cyclones coming down too because it'll pump the east, eastern swells up. Gee, we might have to figure out how we can move um, opening day of duck shooting to Sunday. I'll talk to my people uh, to get some of that fog. <laughs> Eight <laughs> minutes away from nine. It's very good. Well done, Neeps. Thank you for that. Uh, we have got a couple of text messages I'm desperate to read and then we'll catch up with Smithy after this.